be seated. And I invite you this morning to turn once again to the Gospel of Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Uh, For the last month, our goal has been uh, that we would adopt the practice of daily slowing down and spending time praying with Jesus so that the wells of our hearts can drill deeply into the presence and life of Christ. Uh, Because as we've been talking about, we want to inhabit relationships the way that Jesus does, which is, if you remember, is what holiness is. Holiness is living in relationships the way that God himself lives in relationships. And that's why we're learning to drill our hearts deeply into the relational holiness of God by praying, Father, hallowed be your name. Uh, And not only that, we also want to recognize the presence of Jesus, don't we? Uh, We want to discern the presence of Jesus in our life and in our family's life. And we want to learn to see the way that Jesus is working in us and in our loved ones and our communities as he's bringing his kingdom of redemption into existence. And then we want to also have his wisdom about how best to join with him as he does that. And so that's why we're learning to drill our hearts deeply into the kingdom of God by praying, your kingdom come. We also want, as we talked about last Sunday, to deeply trust in the goodness and kindness of God so that when we're afraid, uh, we would take our fears to Jesus and trust him to protect us and provide for us, to believe that he is with us, helping us, that he's bringing us home to himself. And that's why we're learning to pray Father, give us today our daily bread, or tomorrow's bread, uh, if you remember that from last Sunday, if you were here. This morning, the final thing we're going to reflect on is how to pray our hearts deeply into Jesus so that we would forgive those who sin against us as we ourselves have been forgiven by Jesus. Very few things are as foundational to the Christian life as forgiveness. And arguably, uh, though I don't know exactly who would argue with this, uh, nothing is more spiritually draining than forgiveness. Because forgiveness is not something we do once. It's something we do over and over and over again, 70 times 7, as Jesus says. Which is why, uh, in order to do it, we need to be deeply profoundly connected to the life and to the presence of Christ. And prayer is one of the main ways that the life and presence of Jesus enters into us and then is brought out of us through the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, This morning, all of us, I'm confident, have someone or someones we are struggling to forgive. Uh, Maybe we're struggling because their sin was terrible and world-shaking. It was traumatizing and scarring, and so forgiveness is just a monumental task. Or maybe we're struggling because the sin just isn't stopping. It's not necessarily that it's the worst sin in the world, but it's a repeated action that's just grinding us down. And each time it happens, forgiveness becomes just that much harder. My friends, this morning's sermon is very much for you. Uh, Jesus wants you to know that forgiveness is possible and repeatable because he is near you 
and with you, and he wants you to learn how to get his help and his presence to forgive 70 times 7. He, he wants you to understand the way that he brings his life to you in a transformative way through prayer. And that's the whole point of this sermon, uh, being transformed into forgiving people through prayer to Christ. Uh, so let's read Luke uh, verses 1 through 4. We're going to focus on verse 4, but I'll read 1 through 4 for context, and then we'll reflect more on it this morning. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 1. God's Word tells us, uh, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Thus far the reading of God's own word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have given us the gift of prayer as a way to commune with you and that you've given us your word as a gift to instruct us in how to commune with you and grow with you and, and how to understand your work in our lives. And Father, we want to leave here this morning uh, more transformed into the image of Christ, more ready to pray uh, about forgiveness in our own life and to trust you as the one who enables that and strengthens that. But Lord, we know that uh, these things will not happen unless you bless us with your spirit this morning as we meditate on your word. And so, Father, we pray that your spirit uh, would give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe your word. Father, may the words of my mouth as your preacher, may the meditation of all our hearts as those called to hear and respond to your word this morning, may it all be pleasing now in your sight. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing I want to reflect on with you is this idea that prayer changes us. Uh, now, that's not the only thing that prayer changes, of course. Prayer doesn't only change us. It also changes the world around us, or at least it can if the Lord wills that change. And that's why we bring our requests to God, because we want him to affect things. Uh, we want God to make a difference in what's going on. That's why we pray for the sick and the weak to be healed and made whole. That's why we pray for the lost to be found and for sinners to repent and to trust in Jesus and be saved. Uh, we, we pray because we want God to stop wars and reconcile enemies. We pray because we want God's help. And that idea, that theology, that prayer is a means that God uses to affect the world is a very important one in the Bible. But it's not the whole of the Bible's theology on prayer. Because in the Bible, prayer is not only something that affects the things you're praying for, at least it can if God wills that effect, but it also, and even more profoundly, affects the one doing the praying. And that theology that when I pray, God uses our prayer to change me is fundamental to the way that Jesus has crafted this powerful line 
and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now, I realize that not everyone understands this line to be uh, about transformation fundamentally, and so I should probably say a little about the two alternatives to transformation that Christians have used to understand Jesus' goal here. Uh, And I'm just going to say up front that I think these alternatives, while totally understandable, fundamentally miss the goal that Jesus is driving at here. Uh, So what are those alternatives? Well, briefly, one way to understand this prayer is to treat this line as woodenly and frankly as abstractly as possible, and so read it as a transaction, as an exchange, meaning that since Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, a transactional reading says that that means we are only forgiven by and to the degree that we forgive everyone else. And so in this transactional reading, I have to give other people forgiveness before I can get forgiveness from Jesus. And if I have not in fact forgiven everyone who has sinned against me, then not all my sins are forgiven. And you'll find this uh, reading in a number uh, of C.S. Lewis's writings, by the way, uh, which is a bummer because I generally love C.S. Lewis, but when he talks about this prayer, he gets it wrong. Uh, The problem with this transactional interpretation is that it just runs very hard against the rest of the Bible. And one easy place to see this is actually in David's life. Uh, So on his deathbed in in, uh, 1 Kings chapter 2, King David, the man after God's own heart, the archetypical king of Israel, the one who all kings are patterned after in the Old Testament, he calls his son Solomon over to his bed as he's laying dying and he lays out for Solomon all the things that he should do after he dies and some of those things are good like reward the people who will faithful to me and some of those things are definitely sinful and are rooted in unforgiveness and in bitterness like getting revenge on people that hurt David or his friends in in the past but that David wasn't able to properly uh, get revenge on during his life. Uh, one of the things that you can see about David on his deathbed in 1 Kings is that David is just not, is clearly just not forgiven everyone. But according to a transactional reading of this prayer, that would mean that David isn't in heaven because not all of his sins would be forgiven. But clearly David is in heaven. And then you could think of all the places where Jesus totally and completely forgives people who are most definitely not totally and completely forgiving everyone who's ever sinned against them. You can think of the thief on the cross, what we're going to talk about on our Good Friday service. There is just no way you can convince me that when Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise, it's because on the cross, the thief scanned the horizon of his entire life and said, I forgive everybody who's ever wronged me while he's struggling for air. There's just no possible way he could remember everyone who sinned against him and forgiven them, and then be forgiven by Jesus. Uh, The woman at the well is another example. Or Paul, who you may remember refused to work with Mark because of some offense that Paul took at Mark. That would mean that Paul was not forgiven. While he wrote Romans uh, 3.21, we therefore uh, now are at peace with God through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul could not have had peace with God. He could not have been totally forgiven at that moment because he had not work through forgiveness with Mark yet. 
And so this transactional reading is just inherently wrong. Jesus is not saying that he forgives us only to the degree that we forgive other people. I want to free you from this. This is a bad reading that crushes the heart. Uh, Another bad reading that crushes the heart is a line of reading that I like to call evidential. And this reading believes that uh, Jesus wants us to use our prayers to evaluate whether or not we are in fact saved by looking at evidences of forgiveness in our life. Because as the thinking goes, uh, Jesus says that those who are forgiven much, forgive much. So if I'm forgiven much, if I am in fact a Christian who has appropriated the totality of Christ's forgiveness in my heart, then I will show that I am a Christian by forgiving everyone who sins against me. But if I forgive a little, if I don't in fact forgive everyone who has sinned against me, uh, then I am probably not forgiven much. I'm not a Christian and I need to repent again. John Wesley held to this interpretation. It's why he had a conversion experience, by my count, at least four times in his diary. Uh, Because he was constantly discovering, amidst sending out missionaries, opening up hospitals, giving away three-fifths of his money to charity and another fifth to the church, uh, uh, preaching the gospel that he just didn't forgive enough people. And so he thought, I can't be a Christian. And while I think that this interpretation is more like understandable, it's clearly a crushing one. Imagine giving your entire life up to Jesus over and over again, like John Wesley did, and going, but I'm not really saved. I'm not really a Christian. I'm just not good enough. And then you have a conversion experience again, and you go through it again and again. It crushes you down, and I think it's fundamentally flawed. The fact is, understanding this prayer as an invitation to judge your own salvation doesn't fit with what Jesus will go on to say about getting help from God because he is your father in heaven. Right? What Jesus goes on to say assumes that there is a relationship and salvation already there. And it also doesn't fit with the instigating story of Mar- Mary and Martha, which is about slowing down to enjoy the relationship which you already have with Jesus. And so the context for this prayer is not about evidences for the existence of my relationship with Christ. It's not about a transaction to create a relationship with Christ. It's about improving it. It's about deepening our life in him. It's about growing it. That's what this entire section of the Bible is all about, which is why the best way to interpret this line, in my view, is to see this as a prayer for transformation as a prayer that God would change me by helping me grow in giving everyone the forgiveness that I myself have already received in totality from Jesus. Remember, Jesus is giving us this prayer as a response to our request, as voiced by the disciples in this text, to teach us to pray. And he knows that in our conversations with God, the sins that have affected us are going to come up. Uh, We're going to talk to Jesus about the harsh word and the forgotten promise. Uh, We're going to talk to Jesus about the idolatry and the lie and the adultery and the disrespect. Uh, We're going to pray to Jesus, I hope, about any anger or violence we may have suffered, about any yelling we may have experienced or the neglect 
we maybe have endured. And so the doorway that Jesus invites us to use as we carry these pains and wounds into the presence of God is constructed in such a way that it helps us face our own struggle to forgive while we are in the presence of the one who has already forgiven us. See, the way Jesus has constructed this prayer helps us confront the open wounds and the root of bitterness that are present in our hearts and minds whenever we experience sin. When you're sitting down and you're praying, Father, forgive my sins as I myself have forgiven everyone who is indebted to me. Like, Lord, I haven't forgiven. As I'm praying, I have not forgiven my spouse, my child, my parents, my neighbor, my boss, that stranger on the bus. But I I haven't forgiven them. Help me to forgive them. See, this formulation makes us stop and be honest if we're taking it seriously about what's going on in our hearts and in our lives so that we can wrestle through the work of forgiveness with Jesus himself. You see, our wise king knows the kind of door that we need to walk through if we're going to uh, drop our wounds and our hurts and our traumas deeply into the well of grace. And that leads us to our second point, which is forgiving sins by embracing debts. Uh, If you've visited different churches in the past, you've probably learned that in one church, you'll pray this prayer and be a trespasser, right? Lord, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. In another church, you'll be a sinner. And in another church like ours, you'll be a debtor. And that's because each version of the Lord's Prayer uh, in the Gospels, Jesus will use those different words to highlight different truths about forgiveness. And in Luke's version, we have two words here, don't we? We have sins and we have debts. Father, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And by putting these two words together, here's what Jesus is teaching us to realize about forgiveness while we pray. Forgiveness means in part bearing or enduring the cost of your bad actions against me for your good. I bear that cost of your sins for your good in myself. Because that's what forgiving a debt means, right? So kids, if someone is in debt to you, that means they borrowed money from you. So let's say that uh, you borrowed some, you loaned somebody $20. You let someone borrow $20. And the expectation of them borrowing it is that they will pay you back, right? So that you are not ultimately out that $20, Uh, But now let's assume that you forgive that debt. That means that you don't get the $20 back. You'll never get that $20 back. They keep the $20, and you have to endure the loss of that $20. I know what you're thinking. Like, why would you do that? Well, because you know that by forgiving their debt, you're doing something good for them. Uh, When I was a kid... I had a friend, this was in grade school, who borrowed 
$20 from me, and I don't know why I had the $20, but I did. He borrowed $20 from me so that he could pay for hot lunch that week. And when my mom found out, uh, we did not have much money at the time, uh, she told me that I should not let my friend pay me back. Uh, she told me essentially, I need to forgive that debt. And when I asked her why, she said it was because uh, my friend's family just didn't have a lot of money. And if he paid me back $20 for that week, he probably wouldn't have had $20 for the next week's hot lunch. And so kids, for his good, because I love my friend, I forgave his debt. Because I love my friend, and I didn't want him to be hurt because he was indebted to me, I wanted to eat lunch. I said, don't worry about it. You don't need to pay me back. I endured the loss of the $20 for his good. When Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who is indebted to us what he is teaching us is that forgiveness means enduring the cost of their sin against us for their good. We don't seek to hurt them back or make it even. We don't seek revenge. We don't try to stand between them and their relationships with others or their relationship with God. We bear the cost of their sin against us in our life for their good. We forgive their debt to us. That is incredibly hard to do. I feel it. I can tell that you feel it. Uh, And the bigger the debt, the harder it is to do, right? Whether that debt is incurred in one or more giant and terrible sins or through a thousand small trespasses, it is incredibly hard to say, I will forgive you. I will release you from your debt to me. I will pray for your good. I will desire a blessed relationship between you and Jesus. I won't celebrate your failures or your pain. I will forgive your debt to me. My friends, that is inherently draining. Spiritually, emotionally, mentally, forgiveness is hard. And yet Jesus calls us to do it over and over and over again, 70 times seven. And that's why point three, Jesus wants us to pray to him for help. Specifically, it's why Jesus teaches us to root our prayer to forgive others in God's forgiveness of us through his ministry. Did you notice how Jesus has constructed the prayer? First, we say, Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who's indebted to us. The sins committed against us flow to Jesus after we have handed our sins over to him first. It flows in a very specific way. Jesus, as you have forgiven me, help me to forgive others. In fact, take the Take the pain that I'm enduring into yourself as you have taken the pain on my behalf into yourself on the cross. Because how did God forgive our sins? How did he forgive our debts? Well, he forgives us by freeing us from our debts to him by enduring their cost in himself, in the life and death of Jesus, God himself, right? 
We owed Jesus honor, but he endured and endures dishonor from us. And he carried the debt of that dishonor in his heart and in his mind and in his body for us. In poverty and in rejection and in hatred and in malice. Uh, We owed Jesus worship and love, and he endured instead scorn and rejection, which he carried in his heart and mind and body for us. Uh, We sinned against God, and the debt our sins accrue is to justice, which in the Bible is often translated as wrath. And wrath, by the way, is just best understood as God's enduring concern for justice. Our sins against God are owed wrath. They are owed justice. They are owed hell, which is the place of God's enduring justice. But to forgive our sins, Jesus endured hell for us. Wrath for Jesus, justice for Jesus, means release for you and for me and for everyone who trusts and repents to him. Were those Jesus' wounds to bear because of his actions? No. They were ours. But he bore them in himself for us. And by praying to Jesus this way, he is reminding us that he understands what the cost of forgiven sins is because he has paid them. And as those he has called to take up our cross daily and follow him, he is telling us that he will give himself to us as we pray so that we can endure the real cost of forgiving those who have sinned against us, not through our own strength and power, but through the power, strength, and life of the one who is present with us as we pray and after we pray and in every moment by the Holy Spirit. The cost is high. Jesus understands, but he wants you to know that the one who's ultimately bearing it is him. And as we pray, we give it to him, to bear on our behalf. And that leads us then to the final thing I want to say this morning. Uh, I was reading uh, a book recently, um, and I don't remember what it was because I'm reading on Kindle, and the, you know, so you never see the title of the book or the author. But it was a book on prayer, and the author makes a point that uh, prayer is, some prayers are incomplete without action. He basically said that uh, when we ask God to help us with something, that our prayer isn't complete until we take action to do the thing that we ask God to help us to do. So essentially, uh, acting in faith is a way of living out an amen to the request that we make to God. And I think that idea applies beautifully to every line of this prayer, and it certainly applies uh, to this line, doesn't it? As I've been saying, this is a prayer for transformation. And as we're going to pray, uh, Father, help me forgive. Uh, Help me figure out what forgiveness looks like. Help me act as somebody who is working on forgiveness. Father, pour your spirit into me so that by your grace I can bear the cost of their sins through your presence for their good. Uh, That prayer is just not totally complete until we act on it. Now, that action could be very small. Like, intentionally replacing bitter thoughts with kind ones. Or it could be very big, like calling someone on the phone and telling them, you're forgiven. Or maybe 
It means getting professional help. Uh, Sometimes Jesus uses counselors and psychologists and therapists to help us work through the damages of sin so that we can grow in forgiveness and extend that to people. And in my own life, Jesus has used professional counselors for that very purpose. Uh, Jesus can also use friends and family. He definitely uses the church. He uses pastors and elders too. Uh, The nature of the sin, the nature of the offender's repentance, the maturity of your own faith, the depth of the hurt, that's all going to play a factor in what kinds of actions you need to take. And if you want help discerning what kind of action you might need to take, I'm very much available to talk with you uh, anytime you'd like. Uh, But for today, let's end with this modest goal of action for all of us. Uh, Let's resolve to pray to Jesus about the specific people that we need to forgive. And let's ask for help to forgive them. And let's ask him for wisdom and what action we should take as a lived amen to that prayer so that we can root our hearts deeply into the healing grace of Jesus. And so know the joy of Christ that comes through the forgiveness he pours into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for forgiving our debts in Christ and for promising to help us as we seek to forgive our debtors in your name. Father, please place our wounds and hurts deeply into the healing grace of Jesus uh, so that through his presence in our lives we can forgive as we have been forgiven. Father, please help us to know what actions we need to take in order to pursue forgiveness. And uh, as we pursue this, Please give us the same joy that our Lord had, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, in order to bless us with forgiveness through his work. And uh, Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake uh, and for the sake of the work specifically that he's doing in our lives through his spirit. Amen.